So for the past three weeks, past two weeks, we have been traveling along with Bob Merritt, the fellow that you saw in this video that I interviewed, one of my former seminary professors who wrote this book, When Life's Not Working. And if you remember from week one, he gave us a, a, really, clear, a really clear demand. He said that if you want life to work, there's really only one way that it can work. It's just like free-falling. There's only one way to do it. You just have to fully commit. You can't halfway free fall. And we looked at the story in Matthew where Jesus gives a very clear mandate. If you want life to work, you've got to be willing to do things my way. Then last week, we looked at uh, the chapter, chapter number three, one of my favorite chapters of the book, where Bob says basically that, you know, sometimes the difference between those who succeed in life to those who really accomplish their goals really doesn't come down to gifts, often doesn't come down to talent, doesn't come down to background or education, but often what makes the difference between people whose lives work and those who don't are those who are just willing to give it one more day, who are willing to persevere. And we saw that story unfold through the life of Moses, a great, a great character in the Bible, somebody who lived a very unlikely life, but somehow God used his story, an ordinary guy, to change the course of history. But today we're, we're closing out the series with really my favorite chapter in this book. And it's really the chapter that brought me to really just, that really cemented this idea of this series and why I wanted to bring this book to you. Because I remember when Bob told that story in a class where I was sitting in Bethel Seminary uh, several summers ago. And I remember when he just opened his life and he said, here is where uh, my life was at a, a moment of train wreck, but somehow God reached in, breathed new life. And because of this guy named Fred, my life was never the same. And so today I'm going to tell you about the stories of the Freds in our lives. We're going to look at a Fred in Scripture and we are going to ask some of the same questions that Bob had to ask himself when he was facing a very, very critical place in his life. Well, let me tell you about my day yesterday. Saturdays are always busy, always fun for pastors, always weddings, especially this time of year. And, and uh, yesterday was not going to be any different. Uh, my family is actually uh, out of town, I guess, celebrating Father's Day somehow uh, away, apart from me. Maybe I don't know whose gift that is, but we'll, we'll talk about that later in, in counseling. Um, so she parents up visiting her dad uh, in Philadelphia. I'm not bitter at all. And, and she, uh, she'll be back later this afternoon. So the house is very quiet. Normally there are three little kids running around making lots of noise, but for the past couple of days it's been awful quiet. And, uh, but yesterday I, I got up and... First item on the agenda was a wedding, and I uh, love, love to be a part of weddings, and I was over at the, uh, presiding at this wedding at the uh, Lynn Haven Colony Congregational Church, great little chapel over there, and as I walked into the church and walked into the, to the room uh, next to the sanctuary, I saw the, the groom, and I saw the best man, and the groom was kind of hunched over in his chair, and I walked into the best man kind of patting him on the back, and I thought, oh boy, I wonder what we're going to get into right here. Is he okay? Is he breathing? Are we going to have to put in a stand-in? What's going to happen? And I uh, just started talking to him, and after a moment, I heard the music change, and I said, okay, it's time. Are you ready? And he said, uh, not yet. <laughs> I said, well, listen, chief, somebody's getting married today. 
So it can be this guy here, no, I'm not getting married, or it can be you. And so he took a deep breath, stood up, and we walked out uh, to the sanctuary. He gave his vows without passing out, which is the really the most important and only goal for the groom is to uh, make it through the vows without passing out. And so he was able to do that and went off to his reception. Well, from there, I went, uh, went over to uh, a family's house who was celebrating the graduation of their son, graduated from high school this weekend also, not only Father's Day, but graduation weekend for all of our high school students. So congratulations to all of you. But I was in this, uh, at this family's house, and I remember talking to, to the dad and talking to him about uh, his experience with his son. And he said, you know, I remember... I remember the first day of kindergarten or, or first grade when, when he got to ride the bus to school. And, and they told us that we were allowed to follow the bus uh, on the first day. And so I put him on the bus and I followed him to school. But the second day they discouraged it. And I remember when he put his little round face in the window and I saw him drive away. And I thought to myself, he said, I, I thought, I'm, I'm losing a little bit of my son, a little bit of that protection, a little bit of that security that I was able to hold on to and provide for him. I, I can't do that anymore. And he said, that's exactly how I feel right now as my son heads off to college this fall. And I thought to myself, who I just was a part of my, my son's kindergarten graduation uh, this past Thursday. And I thought, what is going to, what's it going to be like? My mother-in-law even said at the end of this, parent and I are just teary-eyed and all sorts of stuff. She said, well, guess what? In 12 years, you get to do it again. And I said, not helpful, mother-in-law. <laughs> and uh, she went off to lunch with parent and I went another direction. But there were moments where I, I, just, I, asked, uh, I asked this father, I said, has it sunk in, the reality that your son's going off to school? And he said, not yet, not yet. Later on that day, I went to another graduation party and wonderful time with friends and family. And there was this young girl who is getting ready to, uh, she graduated, graduated as well, going off to college in the fall. And I was talking to, about, talking to her about her life and where she's going. And I said, so are you ready for it? Are you ready for what's to come? And she said, not yet. I am not ready yet. What do all of these three stories have in common? What does a, a, an anxious groom or a father of a graduate or a rising college freshman, what do they have in common? Well, I believe it's this. I believe that they are all facing change. They're all facing a big shift in life right now, and it's coming. They are staring down the barrel of it, and there is no way around it. And slowly and surely, in a very potent and real, palpable way, they are realizing this. They are realizing that whatever it was that got them to where they were today wasn't, gonna be, wasn't going to be enough to get them where they needed to go. Whatever it was that got them to where they were today as a, as a groom who was well-educated, who came from a great family, who loved this young girl, his bride, whatever brought him to that moment wasn't enough to weather life when it unfolded in front of him. And he, in those moments, I believe, had a sense of, oh boy, not yet, not yet. A father of a graduate, too, feeling this not yet moment. What is life going to look like in the fall? I'm not sure that I'm ready for it. Am I, do I have what I need in this young girl? Was she ready? All of them saying the same thing through different stories, that what brought them to where they were in that moment wasn't enough to get them where they needed to go. You know, that's really the story of Fred 
today. It's the story of Fred because in that process, as they were realizing that, if we really want to experience all that God has for us, if we want to be able to move beyond where we're sitting right now and get to where we need to go, there are people that we need to be willing to invite into that process that are going to tell the truth about us, that are going to be honest about us, that are even going to, when handed the scalpel, be able to cut away and expose us and say, you know what, this is what needs to be fixed. That was the story of Bob Merritt. That's our story here today. But that was also the story of the psalmist David. Because David, David had an amazing story. David had come from, from nothing and made it to something. But he found himself in 2 Samuel chapter 12 absolutely on his heels, having no idea what was about to happen to him as his Fred was ready to peel back his life and say, something has to change. Because who you were is not enough to get you where you need to go. In chapter 10 of Bob Merritt's book, he writes this. He says, what worked before wouldn't work anymore. The landscape had changed, and when the landscape changes, you have to be willing to change with it. My leadership abilities had to grow in order for my life to go forward. What's Bob, in essence, what is he saying? What got him to where he was wasn't going to get him where he needed to go. And so what about you today? What are the challenges and, uh, and change that you're facing right now in your life where you're staring right at it and, and you're recognizing that something's not enough, something's not right? What is it that you are going to do? Are you going to engage others? Are you going to invite these Freds into your life? I wonder what that's going to look like on the other side of this service. And so we're going to look at the story of David in 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to look at the discipline that he exhibited uh, and the discipline that he didn't. We're going to see a story of a real guy who was absolutely blinded by the things going on in his life, the challenges. And let's see where we can find our stories in the midst of his. And so we're in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let me tell you his story today. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He had raised it, and it grew up with him and his children, and it shared his food. It drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. And so here comes David's Fred in the name of Nathan. David had just committed all kinds of heinous acts. He had, uh, imagine this, and many of you know the story. David had seen a woman, her name was Bathsheba. And he had eyes for her, and he was like, this, this, this girl could be my girl, but there's one problem. There's somebody standing in my way, and this guy's name was Uriah the Hittite. This was Bathsheba's husband. And so David didn't have a plan at first, but then he thought and he came together. He schemed and he put together this, this plan to get Uriah out of the picture. So he sent Uriah to the front line of battle. And sure enough, Uriah gave 
his life uh, for the nation. Lost his life. And David had what he wanted. He had the girl. But there was something so wrong. And his sin and his brokenness was blinding him. And he couldn't see what was going on in his life. And so God said, something has to happen. Someone has to intervene. I've got to send you a Fred to really tell the truth about you. So he tells this story, kind of a, a parable, almost like Jesus would tell many thousands or many, several thousands years later. And it was a parable about that, that, that he knew that David would understand a parable about sheep because David got sheep, didn't he? He was once a shepherd. And chances are he had a little ewe lamb just like the one in the story that he loved and that he cared for. That he wanted to protect and hold and even, you know, used to take naps with him and just loved this little sheep. And so Nathan very, very methodically, in a calculated manner, was setting David up for something to come. The story continues in verse 4. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Now, David understood not only what it, was meant to, what, it, what it meant to be a shepherd, but he also understood what it meant to be wealthy. You see, he had come from nothing, and now he was something. He was, he was king of the world almost, on top of the world, a general, powerful leader of this nation. But he didn't realize what was about to happen. And so he was angry at this story. It says here that David burned with anger against the man and said to David, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And David was clueless. David was clueless that Nathan might just possibly be telling a story about somebody that David knew awful well. How often do we sit in rooms like this? It's easy to pass judgment on David, but to, to sit here and think these messages are meant for somebody else. We put bruises in the ribs of the people next to us as we elbow them, hope, hoping that they'll wake up and pay attention. Because this is the message that they need to hear when sometimes it's God just trying to get our attention. David's thinking, surely somebody else has done something tremendously wrong. This just can't happen. This is horrible. And this is what Nathan says. Nathan said to David, you are the man. <laughs> David, you are the man. You are the one that stole from the poor so that you could have what you wanted. You did all this, and you can't even get in this story that I'm talking about you because you're so blinded by what's going on in your life. And so over the next several verses, Nathan just takes a scalpel. He cuts him right down the middle, and his life is exposed. Imagine how you would feel if you heard some of these things about you. He says, you are the man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I, gave, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would even have given you more. 
all of these things. And so David is being reminded how he got to where he was. But he was very, finding out very quickly, in a very real manner, that what got him to where he was wasn't going to get him where he needed to go. Nathan continues. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. And he goes on to say, this is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret. But I will do this in broad daylight before all of Israel. Imagine that. So God had brought David to this point, this amazing point. And and part of how David had gotten there is because he had followed the principles of God. He had the discipline that God would even say throughout Scripture that, David, you are a man after my own heart. This is David. But he was lost and he was broken. And he was at a point that he knew so clearly that what got him to where he was was not enough to get him where he so desperately needed to go. And so Nathan just kind of rolls out, this is all of what you deserve. You deserve all of this. I'm going to give everything that you have, everything that you own, I'm gonna, God is going to spread it out. The things that you hold so closely, you're going to lose. All of this stuff, you're going to lose. This is what you deserve. And there's a pause in this story. Just like I believe there's a pause in our story. When we have these moments where, uh, moments of reckoning where we realize that there is something that has to give. And we are staring right down the barrel of this moment. David was in one of those moments. And all of his life was hanging in the balance on what his response was going to be. His whole life had been laid out in page after page after page. How was he going to respond let's look in verse 13 then David said to Nathan I have sinned against the Lord I have sinned against the Lord I know that what got me here isn't going to be enough to get me where I need to go because I have messed up, I have, I have more than messed up. Whatever the, the, most, the biggest definition of mess up, you'll see my picture right there in the dictionary next to it. That's me, I'm David. I have sinned before the Lord. Not just in front of you, not just in front of Uriah the Hittite, not just in front of Bathsheba, not just in front of the leaders who found out about me, but in front of the Lord who knows our entire story. Now, this is part of the hope of the story is how it follows. Because almost instantly, there's no breath in this moment. It says, Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. Ah, he's taken away your sin. There's a breath there. You're not going to die. But because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. 
And so often when we find ourselves in these moments where we recognize that the person that we were, what got us to where we are today, isn't enough to take us where, where we need to go. There's still consequences to our actions. But the, the miracle of this story is that when David confessed his sin, there was a God that said, do-overs are guaranteed. David, I forgive you. I love you. I love you. But there are some consequences that you're going to have to live with. There's some consequences that are going to have to change. There's some things in your life that are going to have to change to get you where you need to go. And so I've got some questions for us today. Questions to get you where you need to go. Questions that Bob had to ask himself. Questions that David had to ask himself. Now, questions that we need to ask ourselves as we face change, as we face challenge in our lives. First question is this, what's it like to be on the other side of you? What's it like to be on the other side of you? What, would your, what words would your kids, your spouse, your coworkers, or your friends use to describe you right now? You know, Bob said that, that uh, in part of the interview that, that, that when I met with him, he said that I was just constantly angry that, uh, that my staff didn't know what to do with me. What does your family say about you? What about your spouse? What are those moments when, when no one's looking? What are people really thinking about you? When I saw that picture in the book of the letter that Bob's daughter wrote, I thought to myself, oh, what if Zoe or Lily wrote one of those letters to me one day? Dad, I'm sorry for ruining our vacation. Obviously, it wasn't your fault. It had to have been my fault. Oh, how would that break my heart? You know what the truth is? Inevitably, they may not write a letter exactly like that, but I'm going to fail at one point or another in their life. I'm going to make that kind of mistake. The question is, what is, go what is my response going to be like Bob when I'm faced with that moment? What is it like to be on the other side of you? And here's another question. If your life were like a business, are you fit to be its leader? You know, when the chairman of the elders asked in front of all of these, all of the elders in the church at Eagle Brook Church, when they said, the question here is, is Bob fit to the be the, the, the leader of this church? It, it just absolutely split Bob wide open. But if you were to look at your life like a company, like a business, are you fit to be its leader right now? Are there behaviors or habits or selfish interests that are hindering or even damaging your credibility and your ability to lead? What is it? Are there things that nobody knows about? Things that you would say, I would never follow somebody like, like that if they were to do that, but yet you continue to exhibit that behavior. If your life were like a business, are you fit to be its leader? Here's a final question. And this is really the question of this book. This is the question of this series. This is probably one of the most defining questions that you'll ever answer. And it's simply this. Just like David. Just like Bob. What are you going to do the moment when your Fred unveils the truth about you? What are you going to do the moment when your Fred, whoever that might be in your life, that person who knows the truth about you and confronts you about it, what are you going to do? What's your response going to be? 
Well, I remember, uh, I remember somewhere around our first uh, anniversary of marriage, going out to dinner with a, with a couple and just talking about how great life was and, and how wonderful, uh, you know, how wonderful an experience marriage had been and all kinds of stuff. And I remember Perrin uh, just kind of just listening as she often does <laughs> when I ramble on. And I remember telling the story when they asked, so how is marriage going? How's your first year of marriage? Oh, it's great. It's wonderful. I love it. It's great. It couldn't be any better. It just is so good. It's so great. And I just wouldn't stop. Probably just kept rambling. And Perrin was quiet. And then on the way home, I said, wasn't that a great dinner? Wasn't that, I mean, that was just great. What a great couple. And she, you've seen the movie uh, where the Kraken was released or unleashed or released or something of that sort. Whatever was released in that moment, it was not pretty. Because in that moment, she said, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Were you listening? Have you been living in the same house that I've been living in? Because while you've been having this wonderful life and wonderful experience, I've been cooking, I've been cleaning, I've been making lunches. I don't even know why I'm doing these things. I've been doing this while you've just been watching ESPN. You've been eating all of this food. And look at you. You're getting bigger and all of these things. And, and it just continued on and on and on for, for what just felt like hours. And I listened and I listened and I argued and then I listened some more. But... In those moments, in that moment, that was my Fred moment. That was the moment for me where I realized that, you know what, whatever got me to this point wasn't enough to get me where I needed to go. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And if I wanted to be the husband that I'd always thought that I could be, if I wanted to be the leader in my house like I knew God was calling me to be, I had to be willing to revisit everything and to start over. Or I could be right and be wrong at the same time. What are you going to do the moment when your Fred reveals, when they unveil the truth about you? What's your response going to be? Because I believe your response, just like for David, will change Everything. It will change everything. So what got you to this moment today is not enough to get you where you need to go. So what about the ropes? Growing up around the water in Daytona Beach, Florida, I always spent time, uh, whether it's working in a marina or friends had boats. And I remember one particular time uh, working around the docks and a small child who didn't, couldn't swim very well fell into the water. And I was the only one around. And I remember throwing this child a lifeline, throwing them a, a, a life ring, and then jumping into the water and very quickly pulling this child back onto the deck. And they were saved. And I couldn't help but as I thought about this moment in this series, as we wrap things up today, I couldn't help but think about the life ropes, the lifelines that someone so desperately is trying to throw to us, trying to get our attention, but we refuse to pay attention. Surely that story is about someone else. Surely this parable is not about me, but this little pretty white rope, this lifeline, somebody is desperately trying to throw you to get your attention, to say this is not the way life is supposed to work, and your life ain't working right now. Maybe parts of it are, but most of it isn't, or maybe it's just one thing. If you just allow me to throw you a lifeline, everything will be different. 
But the truth is we have to be willing to invite that person. We have to be willing to invite that individual, that Fred, into our lives. Even being willing to hand them the scalpel and say, cut away. And it's going to be painful and it's going to hurt. But that lifeline could save your marriage. It could save the relationship or repair the relationship between you and your children, between you and your parents, maybe between you and dad. It's not here today. Who knows what it will be? You know, I've heard it said that um, you'd be amazed what your soul would say to God. You'd be amazed at what your soul wants to say to God. But so often, we're so noisy, we're so busy, we're so active that we never take time long enough just to slow down to allow our souls to speak And so this morning, before we think about Fred, and we think about those lifelines, maybe we need to stop for a moment and think, what are our souls trying to say to God today? Where is it that you, your soul, just needs a lifeline? Maybe you're just at the end of your rope. You're feeling bankrupt. You are emotionally at the end. Wherever you might be, where is it that your soul just needs a lifeline? And so I want to give you just a moment right now, just 30 seconds, 30 seconds at the end of this service, where I want you, if you want to close your eyes, that's fine, but I want you to forget the person next to you, and I want you to allow your soul to speak to God. What is it that you need? Take that moment right now. So who's going to be your Fred? This little white rope. Who's going to be your Fred? Who are you going to invite into your life? Who are you going to give the scalpel to? Who are you going to give the authority, the license to speak into your life? And are you going to listen? But there are two ropes. The first is pretty. It's shiny. It's soft to the touch. The second is rough. Hurts a little bit if if you touch it. As we were thinking about this series and and walking through it, reading the book alongside of all of you, we couldn't help but think, not only do we need Fred's in our life, but you know who we also need? We need Bob's. We need people who are going to model transparency, who are going to open up their lives like a book and say, if you can learn from this, then do. Don't make some of the same mistakes that I made. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be honest. We need those types of individuals in our lives. And somehow those two are kept in tension. You know, it says that tension, Scripture talks about how tension is good. It says in the Bible that iron sharpens iron. So does one person sharpen the countenance of another. And somehow as those two relationships are kept in tension, our lives are made strong. Life won't always work, it won't always be easy, but we'll have answers, we'll have hope, because if there is a promise from the God of the nations, if there is a promise from Jesus Christ, it's that he will never leave us, nor will he forsake us, and he promises us if we just purpose, if we just plan, if we put him first in our lives, we'll have hope beyond hope. 
Hope beyond reason. That's the story of Scripture. Not just the story of a book written by a really nice guy, but the story of a book that changes lives. That's the truth today. And so we're going to sing a chorus together. And one of the lines in this song I love because it says uh, that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who he did, the sacrifice that he gave, because whatever got us to this point is not enough. If we want to succeed in life, if we want to see life even beyond this life, it only comes through Jesus Christ. He is enough. But the song continues to say, but, and by the word of our testimony. It's when we're confronted with our truth that we say, God, we are broken. We have missed the mark. We have, we've screwed up. What does God promise us to do? He promises us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We can overcome. We can overcome. We can overcome. And so allow these words to penetrate your heart and your soul, and we will sing them together. stand and sing all authority.
your Fred? Who's your Bob going to be? But you know, the, the miracle of the story of David, the miracle of the story of Bob, and the miracle of all of our stories, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our Freds and Bobs, there is a God who has given us a plan for our lives and wants us to go and do something amazing with it. And so as much as this represents who your Fred and your Bob are going to be, I wonder if also God is asking, who do you need to be Bob to? Who do you need to be Fred to today? What, what is God calling you to do? The tough stuff, the real stuff of relationships. Well, here's what I know for sure. That the God of the universe, the God that gave his life for you on the cross, is the God that will never, ever, ever, ever let go of you. That's the story of Scripture. And that's our story today. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for the Freds, for the Bobs in our life. But Father, help us to, uh, even in the midst of those who have, are speaking into our lives, maybe, God, we just need to listen a little bit more. Would we hear your voice? Would we challenge, would we be challenged to be better versions of ourselves? And God, would we take that gift and go and change lives? Here because, God, we can overcome. We can get to where we need to go, but only because of you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, if you are here for the first time, we want to remind you that right after this service, if you want to find out a little bit more about Spring Branch, we have something we call Discover Spring Branch. It's about 10 minutes. Come down here to my left. Also, if you'd like somebody just to pray with you today, we'll have a, a section over here. Someone from our prayer team would love to pray with you. See you next week for a great kickoff to finish line. Good day and God bless. Happy Father's Day.